Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. Behind me is the Sea of Galilee, and we are in the ancient village of Capernaum in the, in the region of Galilee. Except for Jerusalem, no place is mentioned more in the Gospels than Capernaum. This is the town that Jesus came to. It's in this village that he set up his ministry when he left his home of Nazareth and found a place that would be the base for him to reach out into the regions of the world at that time. He began, he called his home here in Capernaum. And we first read about this in Matthew chapter 4. And then after we find out that that's where Jesus is setting up his home base, we read this. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It was on these shores of this lake that Peter, Andrew, James, and John were called by Jesus himself to come and follow him. And that, that call, that invitation, changed their lives and shaped all of history. They left what they knew and were familiar with to put their hope and their trust in someone who offered them a life that was so much more. He promised them that he would give purpose to their life if they would only come and follow him. And that invitation to be a follower of Jesus, to come and follow him, well, that invitation is still very real and the same today. He's calling to you and he's calling for me and he's asking us to follow him, to be willing to allow him to change our whole lives, that we'd be willing to give up everything we know because we know that what he has is so much more. What will you do with that invitation? Because Jesus gives great purpose to your life. He invites you today, and he says, come and follow me. I have been waiting five months to preach this series. That footage was uh, from the trip we took in in January to the nation of Israel. Um, It was uh, far more impactful on me and my life and the way that I look at Scripture than I had uh, expected that it would be. Uh, many of you have asked, <clears throat> excuse me, we are planning a trip to Israel in January of next year, and uh, we had to reach kind of a minimum number of people that would go. We have gotten well beyond that, and we still have some spaces available. And so if you are interested in going, I believe the deadline is sometime in July, you can stop by the event desk and get some more information. But we would love to have you join us as we go. Um, I know it's not possible to take all of you to Israel. And the truth is, some of you I really don't want a vacation with. But the reality is, um, we can't take all of you to, just kidding, can't take all of you to Israel, but we can take a little bit of Israel here to us. And these next few weeks, as we get into the summer, we're gonna look at the life of Christ. And much of what we're gonna look at is gonna be based on the different places and the locations and the things that happened there. We're gonna look at the stories of what took place in his life. And here's what happened for me when I was there. You know, I grew up in the church. I grew up going to Sunday school. When I hear the different stories in the Bible, I can picture the things that my Sunday school teacher, the flannel graph pictures, do you remember those things? Sunday school teacher would put on a board. I have all those images in my mind from the Bible storybook. But when I stood in those places, I realized it happened in a real place. The things happened in in real time to real people. They're not fairy tales. 
They're more than a story, and if you allow them to, they will impact your life and change you in a powerful way. And so as we talk about the life of Jesus over the course of these next few months this summer, as we look at the story of Christ from the Gospels, and we see how it impacts our lives today, my prayer, my hope for you is that it will be for you more than a story. So the best place for us to begin, I think, is in the place where Jesus launched his public ministry, We're going to look at the story we just heard about in the video from Matthew chapter 4. Actually, today, though, we're going to look at the way that Luke told it. He told the same encounter, but he filled in some details for us. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 5 today. Luke chapter 5, we're going to look at this same encounter of how Jesus called his first disciples from Luke chapter 5. As we do, I I want to kind of highlight for you five things that are good for us to know about Jesus. Kind of a, a reminder of who Jesus is, what he does in our lives, how he works in our lives, not just 2,000 years ago, but the things that he will do in your life if you will allow for it to be more than a story to you today. we got a lot of ground to cover. We're going to look at this story from Matthew 5, just make some observations as we go through. Let's begin with verse 1. Matthew chapter 5, excuse me, Luke, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 5, begin with verse 1. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Here's a couple of interesting just kind of side notes as you look at this, kind of to help to set the stage. It's interesting that what we so often refer to as the Sea of Galilee, Luke calls the Lake of Gennesaret. One of the things that you'll find out about Luke if you read through the Gospels is that he was actually um, kind of um, called out as a historian to chart the encounters and the account of Jesus and the truth about his story. He was a historian. So he stuck to some technical terms. Now the people, the Jewish people around there called it the Sea of Galilee. Other people referred to it by the name of Gennesaret, which was another region in that area. And they referred to it as the Lake of Gennesaret. Lake was actually the technical term because it's not really a sea, it's actually just a, it's a lake. It's about 12 miles by 7 miles in its, in its length and in its width. The waters come from the, the mountains in northern Israel, and as they come off those mountains, they, they kind of make their way into the Sea of Galilee, or what Luke here calls the Lake of Gennesaret. It's about 12 miles by 7 miles, and then they flow out of that lake into the Jordan River, and then the Jordan River takes it about 65 miles south to the Dead Sea, and that's kind of the geography that you see in Israel. The Sea of Galilee is a, is a beautiful place. It's, it's uh, got hills that surround it. So the, the Sea of Galilee itself is kind of in a, in a bowl that's kind of down in there, and it's just gorgeous. And you saw video there of the sunrise and of the lake, and it's just a very um, picturesque scene when you're there. And it was on the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee that Jesus set up um, basically his ministry initially in a town called Capernaum. And we might wonder when we read the Gospels, why do we see so much happening there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee? And the reason is because that's where life happened. That's where people came. Sometimes we picture the Gospel as happening in some kind of backwoods place with a bunch of hicks. I mean, some people see it that way when the truth is Jesus wanted to be in places where he could be seen, where he could be heard. He had a message to get out there, so he went to the places where he knew it could be heard. So it says that when he was there, people would crowd around him. This was the reality. You see it all throughout the Gospels. Where Jesus showed up, there were crowds of people. They wanted to touch him. They wanted him to touch them. They wanted to hear what he was going to say. And it says that he saw these boats, and so he got in the boats so that he could float out a little bit and then teach from the boat. 
A couple of reasons why. It was customary in that day and time for a teacher to sit down when they would speak. And if he could get in the boat and kind of float out a little ways into the water, he would be in a place where you could have some crowd control. People couldn't interrupt him. He would be able to communicate in a way that more people could hear. Also, that way they'd be able to see him. It was, it was almost like his stage or his platform was to be out in this boat. The, the way the hills come down at the Sea of Galilee, it created almost like an amphitheater there as people would kind of sit and line up on the shore, actually much like this room where people could be seated and then they could look down and could see him teaching. And the natural acoustics of his voice as it would move up that mountainside and it would bounce off the water made it so that more people could hear Jesus as he floated out in the boat. Kind of interesting, isn't it? So he wasn't just trying to get away from people. This was so he could communicate with more people. And it tells us that Jesus began to teach. In fact, as you read through the Gospels, you see that everywhere he went, he taught, he shared truth, he communicated what what Luke calls here the word of God, which shows us the first thing that I want you to see about Jesus today. Now look, I know these things will be very basic, but it's more than just a story. First thing we see about Jesus today, number one, is that Jesus teaches us. That Jesus teaches us. In his teaching, in his word, we find great truths for our life. In fact, let me make what what probably for some of you is a pretty bold statement, but I believe this, that Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever lived. Well, thank you. Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever lived. Now, Now, some people might push against this. But look, everywhere he went, crowds came out. He used masterful teaching techniques, parables, metaphors. The Bible says over and over again that he spoke with authority. And I would challenge you to find anyone whose teaching has had more influence on the centuries outside of Jesus. He only spoke, he only taught publicly for about three and a half years. And yet, century after century, people after people, nation after nation, have been influenced by his teaching. Not every person who has said they've done something in the name of God, I think, has done something in the name of God, true? But his words have had more impact on history and humanity than any other person. Jesus was the greatest teacher who ever lived. And think about this. I also believe that Jesus gave the greatest teachings ever given. He was not only the greatest teacher, but his teachings were the greatest truth that's ever been given. We've already spoken on the impact on humanity and on history, and we could go on and on there, but the reality is this. No other message ever given has the power to change lives and redeem like the teaching of Jesus Christ. Even today, his truth impacts our lives. How so? Listen to what he himself said. Luke chapter six, verse 46. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say. That, that right there is enough to just kind of stop and scratch your head for a moment, isn't it? I think we're all guilty of that. We know what he said, but do we do it? He says, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. 
You're probably familiar with that parable, but did you see what he said here? You know what I said. If you don't do it, you're setting yourself up for destruction. But if you not only hear my words, but if you live according to my teachings, your life will be based on a foundation that will be firm in every storm. The teachings of Jesus are the key to success and stability in life. If you want to know how to live a life that's successful, if you want to live a life that's stable, if you want a marriage that's going to last, if you want effectiveness in your job, if you want to achieve your dreams and your goals, then it's the teachings of Jesus Christ that are the key to success and stability in life. And we could spend a whole lot of time talking about him and his teachings and what they meant. And in fact, that'll be a big part of what we look at over the course of the next couple of months. But remember this, one of the things that Jesus is known for in the Gospels and continues to do today is that Jesus teaches us. But here's the second thing. Uh, Let's go back to this text. Luke chapter five, verse four. Luke chapter five, verse four. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, and, and remember, Simon is the same person that we talk about throughout the New Testament as Peter, Simon Peter, He says, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. It's helpful for us to know the backstory on this. That the best time, fishermen say, to catch fish on the Sea of Galilee is at nighttime. And so Peter and the boys had been out there all night. They'd been fishing, and they had caught no fish. They had come back in. They were cleaning their nets. They had to be responsible. They would take their nets. They would clean them. They would get debris out of them. Then they would stretch them out so that they would dry and remain strong. They were doing their work. They'd had a long night. They'd had an unproductive night. They come back in. They go over here to clean their nets, and this guy comes over, borrows their boat, and goes out to teach his Sunday school class. It's not what they wanted. They wanted to go home. They were tired. It had been a long, frustrating night. And here's Jesus saying, hey boys, do you mind if I do a quick seminar out of your boat? He gets done with that, looks at Peter and says, Peter, you wanna go fishing? Peter's like, no. Jesus, it's, it's the wrong time to fish. We were out there all night. We didn't catch a thing. And now you wanna go out there at the wrong time of day and do some more fishing. But master, if that's, if that's what you want to do, I'll do it, not because I think it's going to work, but I'll do it because you told me to. You ever done that? I don't want to do it, but I will. So Peter said. Why? Oftentimes we read this and we think that for the very first time, it, we read this and we're like, Jesus just kind of walked up, introduced himself to Peter, borrowed his boat, and then Peter just kind of makes a decision from that point. The reality is if you read through the Gospels, in particular if you look at the Gospel of John, you'll see this is not the first time that Peter and Jesus met. They'd had several encounters along the way. In fact, John the Baptist had introduced Jesus to to Peter's brother Andrew, and then it's Andrew that introduces Peter to Jesus, and they had seen him. They'd watched him interact with people. They had seen him work miracles. They had heard his teaching to the crowd. They had started to get to know him a little bit. And so now in this moment, Jesus calls to Peter and says, hey, let's do something a little bit crazy. What do you think? Let's go fishing. Does Peter want to do it? No, but he does because he started to see something interesting in Jesus. He's starting to realize this isn't isn't just some normal guy. And he's willing to follow him. Here's the second thing we see about Jesus in this passage. Number two, 
that Jesus leads us. That Jesus leads us. And there's this process, just like there was for Peter, where in our lives, we need to find ways to get to know Jesus. Not just rolling in on a Sunday morning, but that we literally invite him into our lives so that he leads us in our lives. That's why the the worship series that we talked about the last couple of weeks was so important. Pastor John talked to us about ways that we can spend time in God's presence. When we spend time in his word, when we worship him, we get to know him, and when we do, then Jesus is able to lead us. He didn't just do that 2,000 years ago. It's more than a story. He wants to lead you today. How does he lead us? Well, in one way, he leads us by his commands. We are led by his commands. We do what his word says. For most of us, odds are we're never going to hear the audible voice of Jesus. I've never physically heard his voice. But I know that when I read his word, I know what his teachings say. And then I follow and I obey them. We're led by his commands. But we're also led by his spirit. The spirit of God comes and speaks to us. And the spirit will speak things to our hearts. He will encourage us. And if they line up with God's word, then we can believe that we can follow those things and we can be led by his spirit. Honestly, um, half an hour ago, an hour ago, I was standing in the Connection Center and a lady came in and said something to me. She said, when you were preaching, this came to my mind and I feel like God was speaking that um, for this church. She had no idea that what she said to me was something that I needed God to confirm in my life. Isn't that cool? Cool for me. Sorry, about, sorry you weren't in there. But... She might have helped you. But here's how, this, here's how this works. God speaks to us and he leads us by his spirit. It's actually how Jesus did things. Look at this. John chapter five, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. John chapter five, verse 30. By myself, I can do nothing I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. The Spirit, by God's word and by the Spirit's interaction in your life, will lead you, but you have to be in a place where you're willing to hear it. Peter had enough of a relationship with Jesus to hear his voice and then be willing to allow him to lead him. You ever been in a, you you walk into like a really busy restaurant and all day you've been thinking, I am going to eat there tonight. You you know exactly what you're gonna order. You have that in mind. It's what you want. You walk in the restaurant, you walk up to that little table and you walk up, you're like, it's uh, it's Gilligan party of five. And how long's the wait? And the lady goes, like six and a half hours. And you're like, oh, it's like, all right, I'll wait, I'll wait, I'll wait because I really wanna eat here. So you go over and you wait for them to kind of call your name. And other people may be talking and stuff, not me. When I'm in there, I'm watching because I'm waiting for them to call my name. I'm kind of antsy. I've been waiting for this all day. And every time that hostess takes a breath, I'm like, Gilligan, party of five, Gilligan, party of five, Gilligan. Like I'm watching. And she's like, McGinnis, party of four. And I'm like, not that guy, Gilligan. Come on, you're waiting. You're just waiting. And you don't necessarily want to have conversation. You don't want to know what else is going on. At some point, you just want to hear them call your name. And sometimes we miss what God wants to speak to us. Because we allow all the voices around us to keep us from hearing the times when God wants to call our name and invite us to follow him. Does that make sense? He wants to lead us. And sometimes he'll lead us to things that make no sense. 
Like Michael shared with us, God called them to do something for him, and their coworkers and family said, you people are crazy. Jesus said, Peter, I want you to go fishing with me this morning. Peter said, Jesus, that's nuts. We don't fish now, but I'll trust you. Look, if Jesus asks you to do something that does not make sense today, which he may do, by following the commands of his word or by the leading of his spirit, if Jesus asks you to do what does not make sense today, believe that it will tomorrow. If he asks you to do something that does not make sense today, just trust him and believe that somehow he's gonna help it to make sense tomorrow. Yesterday is a day that I keep marked in my calendar, June 11th, because in 2010, it was the day that I opened up the Toledo Blade and and saw the article that said that Rave Motion Pictures was gonna close their movie theater on Conant Street. And I remember when I read it, there was this little whisper in my spirit, that'd be a great place for a church. And I thought to myself, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. We have a church, and it's paid for. It's a great church. Why would God ask us to do something crazy? And then I came to find out that there was several people that God was kind of whispering that to, and we began to talk about it as leadership, and God began to confirm that whisper, and then we began to take steps. I'm thankful for a church that's willing to say, well, if God's whispering and he wants us to do something crazy, let's just see what he wants us to do and take that next step. When God asks you to do something crazy, be willing to trust him to do that, even if it doesn't make sense today. If it lines up with his word, believe that it will make sense tomorrow. Does that make sense? And it's been cool to watch how God has blessed the church as we've trusted him. And just just what's kind of cool is I feel like he's whispering to us again. Like there's things that he wants us to do as a church as we move forward into this next season that he has for us and that we're willing to trust him and say, God, we'll, we'll do what you want us to do as you lead us. This is what Jesus does. Jesus teaches us. Jesus leads us. Let's look at the third thing that he does. Luke chapter five, verse six. When they had done so, when they, had, when they had went out fishing, even when Jesus asked them to when it didn't make sense, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Isn't that a crazy story? They do what Jesus asked them to do. It makes no sense. They get out there and the net is so full that Peter's yelling to his friends, guys, I need you to come out here. We're gonna have to do something about this. Get a knife, get some nets, do something so that we can get this free. We gotta fix this thing. We've got too many fish. This makes no sense. Can you imagine this? Here's what happens when you trust Jesus. Number three, Jesus amazes us. When you trust him, he will amaze you. When you get to know him, you will see his power at work over and over and over again in your life. It may be through a divine miracle of healing. It may be through things that other people will call coincidence. But if you will trust him, he will amaze you. Why does he do miracles? Let me encourage you in a couple of ways. One, I think he does miracles to build our faith. Why does Jesus do things that are miraculous in our lives? He does them so that he can build our faith. Every time we see him at work in our lives, it reminds us that he's always working. Sometimes he does it in ways through miracles of healing. Sometimes he'll bring divine provision, really what he did for the fishermen in this story. 
Sometimes he'll do things that will just blow your mind. And sometimes he'll do little simple things that actually seem just like coincidence. And I would encourage you that even in those simple things, don't be afraid to call what looks like a coincidence a miracle from God. I think there's times we're quick to dismiss God's work in our lives and go, oh, that was just a coincidence. That just happened. What if we opened our eyes and saw all the places that God was really at work, that he was really lining things up, that he was connecting the dots so that all along we could see his hand at work? I've decided this. I would much rather call something that is a coincidence the hand of God than call something a coincidence when I really should be giving him praise. Does that make sense? I'd rather give him credit for good things even when he doesn't deserve it than fail to give him praise when I should. There's something powerful about allowing Jesus to amaze you. Yesterday was a really, really cool day. Many of you know uh, Pastor Jay Heiss. He's our middle school pastor here. Yesterday afternoon at four o'clock, Pastor Jay got married. And uh, it was a really, just a beautiful ceremony. And uh, I was honored to officiate it. I've known uh, uh, Jay and Molly for a long time. I've known Jay since he was just a little guy, and it was such a privilege to officiate. And when I do a, a wedding, and especially one for, for, for somebody I know well, I, I, I want to I make it special. And so I'd pray and say, God, I, whatever I have to say, I want it to kind of be meaningful and special. And I felt like God dropped in my heart um, the passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, that talks about faith, hope, and love. Do you know that passage of Scripture? And God put that in my heart to kind of share. And, and when I kind of felt like that's what I was supposed to talk about, I was like, God, I don't want to talk about that. That's the verse they read at every wedding. I don't, I don't want to talk about that verse. And then as I was preparing to, to share from that verse, because I felt like that's what God wanted to do, I felt like I should read the, the passage earlier in 1 Corinthians that defines what love is. You know where it says love is patient, love is kind. Do you know that passage? I was going to read that. You know that passage because they read it at every wedding. I'm like, God, I don't want to read this. But I felt like that was what I was supposed to share. So I put my notes all together. I didn't realize this. But I get to the wedding. I have the notes all set up. And on the table, like the the table you had the guest book and that kind of stuff, they had this Bible that was sitting out there. It was a Bible that Pastor Jay had given to Molly when he proposed to her. He had the ring tied to the little bookmark. And he had highlighted a passage of scripture. It was a wide version Bible. It had the wide margins on there. And off to the side, he had written, the best way for me to show you how much I love you is to ask you to marry me. Uh, You know, that kind of, whatever, whatever. It worked, it worked. He married out of his league. So, I mean, it worked and that's that kind of thing. But here's the deal. Guess what passage of scripture he had highlighted in there? 1 Corinthians 13, the definition of love. I didn't know that. And yet God wanted to make sure that a passage of scripture that was already so special to this couple would be connected to the most special day in their lives together. Isn't that cool? I share that story with you so you will know how great I am. (laughs) No, no, I didn't want to share it. Actually, I thought about not sharing it because it's like I'm going, hallelujah me, you know, this kind of thing. The reality is this, I share that story with you because that was my job. It's my vocation, that's my work, that's what I do. And even in the midst of it, God spoke to my heart about something that I did not want to do, but I was willing to do it. And when I did, I saw all the ways that he was connecting the dots in people's lives. When you go to work tomorrow morning, you know what God wants to do? He wants to lead and direct you and guide you. He wants to connect the dots between what he's doing in your life and what he wants to do in other people's lives. And when he does, you know what he's going to do? He's going to amaze you. And he's going to bless you. 
Think of the blessing that that miracle was to Peter and the boys. That's more fish than they'd ever caught. You know how they made their money? (laughs) Fishing. And you know what else happened? Look at this. Luke chapter five, verse nine. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Peter wasn't the only one who saw what happened. So did his friends. So did those around him. And when God does a miracle in your life, he does it so that other people will see it and be drawn to him. Does that make sense? Do you know who the next two people Jesus called to follow him were? James and John. Hey, boys, you see that miracle? Why don't you come and follow me too? If you'll trust him, If you listen to his teaching and if you will let him lead you, he will amaze you. Here's the fourth thing that we see. Look at this, Luke chapter five, verse eight. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Do you know why he did that? Because he was so overwhelmed by who Jesus was. He was so overwhelmed by what he'd seen that he literally had no, no choice but to physically respond by getting down on his knees and saying, Jesus, I, I, he wasn't pushing him away. He wasn't trying to get him out of his life. In fact, the thing was just the opposite. He was saying to him, look, I, I don't deserve what you're doing for me. You are too great and I'm too small. And I need you in a way that I can't even comprehend. Here's a fourth thing that Jesus does for us. Number four, Jesus saves us. Jesus saves us. And here's the reality. If you will allow yourself to come in connection with him, in relationship with him, if you'll let him speak to your heart, you will recognize this. You will recognize your need for salvation. You will recognize your need for salvation. I hope, I hope this isn't um, offensive to anybody or too soon to mention but if you, if you watch the news or the headlines at all this week, you know that a lot of attention, and probably rightfully so, was given to the passing of Muhammad Ali. Incredible athlete, um, and, and not only in the ring, but fought to bravely against disease. He, he did a lot of good things. He was really good at self-promotion. In spite of all of that, I don't mean to be rude, but he wasn't the greatest. There's only one who was ever the greatest. And Muhammad Ali's passing is a reminder that no matter how great you are, for all of us, one day our lives are gonna come to an end. And when it does, we're gonna stand before a holy God. And we'll recognize that our sin is way too great and our God is way too great. And the situation that we're in because of our sin It's too great for us to ever deal with on our own. You know what we need? What we need is a savior. And Jesus is that savior. He's the one who came to save us. That's why Peter calls him out. He says, God, I I don't deserve to be near you. In verse five, he called him master, but in verse eight, he calls him Lord because he realized that what he needed more than anything else was what only God could give. And in that moment, Jesus does something so special. You know, he could have said, you know, Peter, you're right. You're kind of a sleazebag. I just was hungry for fish. No, what he does is so much more. Luke chapter 5, verse 10. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, 
you will fish for people. Here's the fifth thing that Jesus does. Number five, Jesus calls us. Number five, Jesus calls us. And he calls us to a divine purpose. He has a divine purpose for your life. Do you see what he did here? He looks at Peter and he says, Peter, you're a fisherman. That's who you are. That's what you do. And I showed you a pretty cool catch of fish, didn't I? Peter, you're a fisherman. You see that? You're not gonna fish for fish anymore. Now you're gonna fish for men. And he's saying, look, right where you are, right who you are, right where I've called you, the gifts that I've given to you, I will use those to accomplish my divine purpose for your life. And I'm gonna take you on an adventure that you cannot believe. I'm gonna let you find fulfillment and effectiveness. If you will let me take what you have and use that, I invite you to come and be a part of what I'm doing. And you don't have to just stand in the mommy in the spring to catch the walleye. This is for more than just fishermen. He's calling all of us with your gifts and your abilities and even with your own failures and your faults. He's saying, look, I'm calling to you to fulfill my divine purpose. I'm calling to you because I have something that I want you to do. And that, my friend, is exciting. That he'll use us right as we are. But make sure before you sign up that you read the fine print. Jesus doesn't just call us to a divine purpose. Look at verse 11. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. Jesus doesn't just call us to a divine purpose. He also calls us to a complete surrender. Because unless in our relationship with him, we reach a point of no return. Unless we're willing to get to a place where there's no turning back, he really can't use us. Following Jesus isn't just a casual Sunday morning thing. He's calling you to complete surrender. At some point, you have to be willing to make Jesus more important than any other thing in your life. Luke chapter nine, verse 23. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their own self, their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Do you see what he says there? He says, I want to have it all. Jesus calls us to complete surrender. Now look, here is not what I'm asking you to do. I'm not asking you to quit your job. <laughs> I don't think you should walk into your boss tomorrow morning and go, boss, I'm out of here. I'm quitting. I'm going fishing, just like Jesus did. <laughs> the church will not support you. That's called unemployment, okay? <laughs> I don't think God's asking you to quit your job. I do think he's asking you to quit working for yourself and to start working for him in your school, on the job, in your family, in the church. He is calling you to complete surrender. He wants you to hear his teaching, to allow him to lead you. If you do, he promises he'll amaze you. But you have to see your need for him as your savior. And then as he calls you, 
You have to be willing to completely surrender all that you have, all that you are. Say, God, I give it to you. I don't think he says you have to give it up. I think he says you have to give it over. God, my skills, my abilities, my talents, my my hobbies, the things that I enjoy, Lord, I want you to have them. I want you to work through me. I want people to see you at work through my life. Jesus, it all belongs to you. I'm not a I'm not a pilot, and I want to be careful how I use this illustration because I know there's, there's several here at the church that, that are pilots, so you know how to fly. But there's a term that's used about aircraft speed that I just read about this week. It's called V1. The definition of V1 is the speed beyond which the takeoff should no longer be aborted. So here's the concept. When the pilot's in the cockpit and he's moving that plane down the runway, there reaches a point as he factors in the speed and the wind and the size of the aircraft and and all these different things. As he looks at this, he knows there's a point at which when he reaches that speed, he can't stop the takeoff anymore. He can't abort this flight anymore. At that point, it's all in. It's the point of no return. You are committed. When the pilot reaches that point, either the captain or the co-pilot would say this, would say V1, we've reached that speed. There's no turning back. And for some of us, it's time for you to reach a spiritual V1 in your life. Maybe you've been kind of holding back. You've been taxiing on the runway. You've kind of been taking your time. Yeah, Jesus is a good teacher. And yeah, if he'll lead me to good things, I'll follow him. And I love it when he amazes me. But are you willing to say he's my savior and I will completely surrender my life to him? It may be time for some of you to reach that spiritual V1 in your life and say, you can have it all, Lord. We sang a song a few moments ago. It said, you can have it all, Lord. Every part of my world Take this life and breathe on this heart that is now yours. And I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment, right where you are. Pastor John's going to come and he's going to sing that song. He's going to lead us in it. And look, I only want you to do this if you mean it. Don't do it because the person sitting next to you does this. And don't do it because you think it's what Chad wants you to do. But as we sing this song, If you're willing to say, Jesus, my life's at V1. I'm all in. It's a point of no return. I put my life into your hands. Then as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to stand. That's it. Just to stand. And to worship him and say, God, it's, it's all yours. In complete surrender. Jesus, I follow you. And if that's the prayer of your heart, as Pastor John leads us in this song, Would you stand and just affirm, God, it's all yours. It's all yours, Lord. Thank you, God.
word. Thanks for how it speaks to us, how it affirms for us that in you we find success and stability. We find, we find miraculous power, but God, also how you call us to a place of complete surrender. Lord, I, I just sense it in this room right now. For some, there's a wrestling match going on. Saying, Lord, I want all you have to offer. I'm just not so sure that I can give you all that I have. I'm not so sure I can give you my job. I'm not so sure that I can entrust my family to you. We're not sure we can give you our marriage or our future. But Lord, in this moment, our, our prayer is the words of this song, God, that you can have it all. So Lord, as we entrust it to you, Lord, we know that you'll show yourself faithful, that you'll lead us, that you'll amaze us as we put our confidence in you. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us. You send us out with your special favor and your wonderful peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.